0: Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you
1: enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unsheathed episode number 88, which, as
0: KM astutely observed earlier, is. The number of keys in the piano, if you don't count the forbidden notes that are kept inside the blot de
1: and uh, and we are recording here from the Bois Diablo League. Yes. I am your I'm your uh I'm one of your
0: hosts, Kyle Gold. Wow. I can say hey everyone, i have better like Kyle's Bois Diabolique. <laughs> You're a jumpy fox tonight. <laughs> I can't be too jumpy. I know. I'm the one who's been drinking. I'm also Cam Harasaki. Hi everyone. I've been drinking my Coke Zero, which is none of the sugar and all the caffeine. I'm drinking a... Uh Labyrinth Black Ale, which I believe Kit and Kyle picked up in Salt Lake from uh, Unsheath's own Atari Otter. Oh, yeah. Yes. Friend of the podcast. Yes.
1: And actually guest on the podcast. Guest once. on the podcast, yes. Um, thanks, Atari Otter, for that. We, are, uh, we had a lot of fun in Salt Lake, actually. We were driving back from Rocky Mountain FurCon, which was a wonderful time. Which I believe we talked about on a previous podcast. Yes. And um we just stopped in Salt Lake and met up with Damon Husky and Atari Otter and had lunch in a sports bar and hung out for an hour and a half and it was a lot of fun. And we appreciated them coming out to make time for us.
0: Yeah, this this beer's really good. It's like this nice thick, like coffee, like porter stout thing. Like I really want like a big fuck off piece of chocolate cake with it. Like <laughs> What?
1: Can I order that in a bakery? I'd like a big
0: fuck-off piece of chocolate cake. Dude, if it was a bakery I ran, you absolutely could.
1: I think you need to run more bakeries. Uh, but speaking of conventions we were returning from, uh, and people we stopped and saw along the way of that return from, uh, we were recently... From which we came. <laughs> from from whence we came. Uh, re- we recently came whence from the wilds of the Algonquin National Park in in Ontario. Yeah, Ontario Canada.
0: Yes. Where um, somebody told me Algonquin Park's twice as big as Yellowstone. I believe that.
1: Yeah. Algonquin Park is like twice as big as New York. It was uh it, it was cool. Um It was really cool. You know, feral's just an awesome time.
0: I the, swam a lot. Yeah, the people there are uh splash, 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 splash. <laughs> it's very Sorry. ottery. I am. After like anything I was like, is there time for me to go swim before I need to be at next thing I was supposed to be at. Cool. And I would, like, run and change and go jump in the lake, and then... Can I be
1: at next thing in wet swimsuit? Awesome.
0: No, I would change back, and I needed to, like, creatively... Except that one time,
1: we went to breakfast in wet swimsuit. That's true,
0: because we had jumped in the lake at, like, the... 7.30 in the morning. But I had to, like, come up with, like creative ways to air up my cabin so that like my cabin mates didn't get all grossed out by like swamp towel drying like three times a day anyway
1: (laughs) yeah we had um there's the people there are always awesome the activities are great um it is i think just because of the location and the expense is really not much more than a hotel con when you'd add everything up it's just that you have to pay for it all yeah you need to budget in advance and toronto's kind of expensive to fly into Yes, but so, if you
0: can manage to get in through Buffalo, it's cheaper. Yeah. Buffalo's a much cheaper airport, but then you have, you have to deal, get to Toronto. Then,
1: yeah, and then you have to deal with the... You can uh, take the mega bus. You have to deal with the customs peoples. Well,
0: you have to um, deal with customs at the airport, too, but...
1: Yeah, customs at the airport is nothing like the customs at the, at the <laughs> driving border.
0: They're just bored and not irritated.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they basically stand there, and they're like, wave, 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 and that was it but it 's like a hundred dollars more per person or one hundred and fifty more per person to fly into Toronto,
0: yeah, and uh, customs in Japan is weird because like they 're polite but like they're they 're very thorough because I used to live there, so I had like a a visa to work there, and that came with my like foreign registration card, and then like eight years later, I was there on a business trip, and I had never been back since then. And they they're going through my passport and they're like oh like we have you like, in our records here and like do you still have like your foreign registration card and I'm like yeah because I kept it in my wallet as a keepsake to show it to people like look at this cool thing I have and like yeah we have to take that back and I'm like ah oh. like it's wow. expired like it expired in two thousand three and they took it from me in like like two thousand seven or something I was so mad oh you should have just lied and said you didn't have it oh because they're like do you have it I'm like yeah and then they said they had to take it oh uh, so yeah
1: then you should say. Well, not on me. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, that sucks. They have those cool little eye scanners to, like, check that you're not a terrorist. Because
1: you don't have terrorist eyes?
0: <laughs> I, no, it's like, I guess. Like, you,
1: like, apparently, or, like... like the crazy eyes from How I Met Your Mother? <laughs> <laughs> don't let him on the plane. He's got terrorist eyes.
0: Well, you're already off the plane at this point.
1: Oh, well. But. Don't let him into the country? Yeah. Make him go back on the plane. Make him
0: go back on the plane. <laughs>
1: Um, But anyway, we recorded a show up at Feral, so you guys will already have heard all about that by the time you hear this. Presumably, if you haven't, go back and listen to the last episode, because you're missing out. It was a great time. Just just so you guys know, even though we're now here and no longer in a foreign country, being surrounded by the foreign country locals and pressured to say nice things, we still stand by all those nice things we said.
0: Oh, yeah. And Um, I drink Clamato now.
1: Ah oh. yeah
0: i'm an otter. I drink clam juice. Why not?
1: Um, but uh we'll we'll definitely be going back to feral. It's probably not an every year kind of thing, but um we're definitely hoping to get back in a couple more years um what else how is uh How is summerhill going?
0: summerhill's going really good. I'm on the final stretch now. I'm like about a fourth of the way through my edits, and given that it's uh, slightly more than halfway through the month but the beginning of the story needs less needs more editing than the end of the story most cuz i need to properly foreshadow and set things up for things that will happen and then what came after is better
1: yeah i find that happens a lot cuz yeah. and it's also just strengthening the themes right because at the beginning you're kind you might kind of be playing with a lot of different themes and um by the end of the novel you've really worked out what ones you want to stress the most and mm-hmm. It always kind of hurts when you have, because I I do this a lot, where there's like, oh, this person is struggling with the loss of identity, and they're also, you know, trying to discover the meaning of, you know, romance or something. Mm -hmm. And I get to the end of the story, and I'm like, the story doesn't support both those themes. And so the you know the romance one is the stronger one, and then I have to take out all of that interest and stuff. And I'm like, but this was also going on, and it's really cool, and I want to write about it. And sometimes I'm not as good about taking all that out as I should be. But I think in a novel, you can get away with that. And um, people kind of appreciate that there's other little things going on, even if they're unresolved.
0: Yeah. Like, Summerhill is very wishy-washy in this draft that I'm going over now, especially towards the beginning. And I think that that's just a natural effect of... My not having known what the thematic elements of the story were when I wrote him way back when, and so it's like,
1: yeah, you know. I, I do know the characters in general, mm-hmm. um, and I, I've noticed it a lot with characters in your novels in your in your early drafts mm-hmm. tend to be tend to be very sort of indecisive and kind of. I want to see where the story takes me, yeah. which I think is interesting as a reflection of your writing as an author to say, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out where the story is going to take me.
0: Yeah. It's, it can get frustrating because it makes me feel like I'm like a hack, but at the same time, like I never claim that I know where stories are necessarily going ahead of time. So like, yeah. not, not to peel I'm, back the curtain and ruin the magic, but
1: you know, uh, we could, well, we could have a whole discussion about the term hack because I'm, yeah. I, I, feel like I'm a hack by certain standards as well. And I'm like, what does that actually mean? Is it just, you know, I don't, I think it applies less to you than to me, if that makes sense, or at least Thank by some criteria. You, I
0: think, question mark.
1: <laughs> um,
0: oh, hi, question mark. <laughs> oh. Sorry.
1: Oh, that just slipped out. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, Kit just pointed out that Kyle missed a perfect opportunity for her, That's What She Said.
1: Yes. Uh, I think the moment had already passed. No. You know, Kit, the mics will probably pick up. You could have just yelled it out. <laughs> 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 it's like one of my favorite bits from The Office. <laughs> the little the, Where Jim and Pam are on the phone all day. Uh-huh. And they have the little things, and Jim and Dwight are back in Kelly's bit, and Kelly's like... Dwight, get out of my nook. And Pam on the other end of the phone just like leaps up from her (laughs) desk going, that's what she said, that's what she said. (laughs) And you just see Jim kind of like touch his ear and go, good one. (laughs) Nice. Um, but anyway.
0: But yeah. No, that, little, like, that little, that little digression. Aside. You know, 10 years from now, once Summerhill has made me rich and famous, and I released like Summerhill special edition, like hardcover reprint, like, I think it would be interesting. <laughs> with like, author's commentary. Yeah. With author's commentary. I think like, it would be interesting to sort of release with it, like the original short story that I wrote, and see if people can figure out like, how the hell did you get from this to what you ended up with? It's got a time dog. Yeah. It's Catherine, and yeah, that's about there you go. it. <laughs>
1: um, I've been sort of heads down, super busy all this week, um, working on my one secret project, which is a little less secret in that I announced that it's going to be released at FWA next year. Um, I'm actually real excited about this one, and the... People who have read it so far have also been fairly excited about it. It's I am very excited about it. It's a little bit different from, um, from other stuff that I've written, but it taps into a couple areas that I'm really fond of. Um, and it actually is somewhat relevant to some of the questions that we have here. Yes. Um, in that, at least partly, it's involved with the historical era. And mm-hmm. if you know the theme of FWA next year, and the reason that I'm writing it, I should not neglect to mention this, the reason that I'm writing this book to be released at FWA is because FWA was kind and generous enough to invite me to be their, one of their guests of honor next year. Hooray! Um, so I'll be out there in March of 2012, and if I do not see all y'all there, I will be very disappointed. Because FWA is an awesome con, in addition to just being a you know awesome for having good guests of honor. But um, Anyway, the theme of FWA is Moulin Rouge, which I think is a pretty cool theme, and, you know, cons tend to... It seems like furry cons are kind of running out of themes lately.
0: The, the, we're starting to recycle them, I yeah. noticed. Like, Alice in Wonderland came back up again. Yep. Uh well, know, FWA did that last year. Yeah, I know. And Further Confusion did it in what, like, 03? 03. Yeah, 03-04 yeah, or something like that. It was 03, I think. And then, like, the furry apocalypse, a bunch of people are doing that next year. Well, yeah, but that's 2012, uh, no, so. yeah.
1: I do kind of wonder how many we'll do Back to the Future in 2015.
0: I think, I think whoever calls dibs first.
1: Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so the book is coming out for FWA. So it has a, um, a little bit of historical theme to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also got some other aspects. And yes. I'll be talking about It is about
0: unique it. among your works. I think it is. It is very unique.
1: Yeah. Um, it has a bunch of stuff going on that uh, that uh, is kind of exciting. There's there's unreliable narrator and um, switching viewpoints and all kinds of cool stuff. But that will be something I'll I'll return to over the next few months.
0: Um, also, just randomly, I had spectacular spectacular stuck in my head yesterday. I just realized <laughs> speaking <laughs> of Willy
1: Reusch, excellent. Um, But anyway, I'll talk about it a little more as we get into answering the questions. Um, I've not really been working on much else. I sent a story into
0: heat. I did Uh, not. I have not heard about that yet. I was too busy. That and other people wanted to write depressing stories and give... (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll give you a shot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm kidding. Only kind of, actually.
1: Um, So, we have some letters? Yes. I will... uh, I'll start out, there's two here that kind of address the same topic, so I've lumped them both together, and um, the first one is from Reachin, and he writes, Dear k Name Podcasters, of the reviews of my book, there's one criticism that they all share. One of the furry characters has a non-anthropet, and this is very jarring to the reader. I found this criticism really interesting and want to put it to you.
0: That's what she said. No, (laughs) sorry.
1: That's what he said. What do we as authors do about non-anthro animals? Aside from the rare few stories I've seen, uh, the only non-scented animals that exist are reptiles/slash birds. Their existence alongside furries calls into question the "where did furries come from" issue. And in a work where that issue isn't addressed, then yes, it's easier not to address it. But not addressing it still does not answer the question: What happens to the animals? What lives in the wilderness? What do the carnivores eat? Kyle, I've seen mention of bull furries in your work, yet the characters are eating steak and roast beef. Same with a boar and a sausage. Where's the meat coming from? In a fantasy setting, what about mounts and animals to help with plowing and other work? Furthermore, I think that pets, the type of pet an owner chooses, the way the animal acts, and the owner and pet interaction, tells us a lot about characters, and to lose that seems a shame. Reaching. And then from Border Walker, hello, Rutterbutt and Flufftail. Which one am I? Uh, your rudder butt
0: Okay, cool
1: I, I like being fluff tail <laughs> Yeah,
0: I bet I've got you
1: a, do <laughs> I've got a rather interesting question You know me I do know you I've got a rather interesting question for you two seethers So <laughs> Hi. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm interrupting my own letter Like somebody reading a draft of one of the, the books that I'm working on Was like, I don't know why you need to make All your characters foxes <laughs> I was just like, do you know me? Hello? <laughs> Have you met? Uh, anyway. Uh, in a story, how would you handle a situation where an anthro character has a pet, like a dog or a cat of the four-legged everyday variety? Would it be too odd, or do you think it could work? Like if, say, a vixen owned a pet border collie. Would it be better if the species were more spaced out, such as maybe an anthro cat on drugs? No, no, no. An anthro <laughs> cat owning a bearded dragon instead of a Norwegian forest cat. Wow, it's really specific. I <laughs> know. <I'm> just like... <laughs> Your thoughts are requested from the northeastern bobcat border walker.
0: So, now, if it was a Maine coon cat, you could get Totally, it. Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Um, or a manx. <laughs> that just, that that sounds like a corruption of, like, or some hybrid. Manx. A, a it's manx. Like a, it's a, it's a man-lynx. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and he has a Norwegian forest cat. Yes,
1: that's what she said. No. Um, this, I, yeah, yes. I know people. I'm. I'm not even going to get into that whole thing.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I heard about
1: that. Um. Anyway. Anyway. The um. So I, I, I've I've gone over my theory of, you know, domestic animals and yeah. meat animals and whatnot. I separate out uh, in my head and also in my books. Um, The idea of wild species versus domesticated species. I actually had this conversation with, um, I think it was Blotch, because we were talking about a book, and um, Mm -hmm. they said something like, why don't you have a husky character in it? And I said, well, if you have a husky character in the books, then none of the characters can eat meat. (laughs) And I got strange looks for that, as you can imagine, but I proceeded to explain the train of thought.
0: The huskies are delicious.
1: Huskies are delicious. So I hear... <coughs> Kid's looking at me. Um, the uh, So the idea is you can have a world where domesticated species are also anthro. But to me, that kind of breaks my concept of my worlds because then I'm like, who domesticated them to make them anthro? It's kind of like if yeah it's kind of like if there was a race of humans that had self selected out for certain genetic traits like and, and you know I'm not sure how to say that any differently yeah but um and 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 we we have those to some extent, so you could yeah. say you know domesticated animals fine you know there's the these families of wolves interbred in like little spots on the ones that were the fluffiest and tail curliest (laughs) all got the good women and had you know tail curly fluffy pups and then they became huskies but um they're
0: like the peacocks of the domesticated wolf world hey sister
1: (laughs) (laughs) or if you believe kung fu panda too uh evil but um (laughs) i was gonna try to do an impression of him but i just can't right now it's been too long You
0: can't be properly wickedly British.
1: It's been too long, not Thai long.
0: Ah. Oh, you
1: went there. (laughs) I'm leaving the show now. (laughs) I went there and Mm. kept going. But, um, yeah. Anyway, to conclude. So, in my world where there's only wild type furries, and, you know, there's wild sheep, there's wild horses, um, and. FYI, mustangs are not wild horses, but um, mustangs are feral domesticated horses. But anyway, um, different rant. The um, So if you have only wild type furries, then it is plausible to me that they domesticated animals. Right. And in that case, I can envision, you know, as furries were evolving from the Stone Age or whatever, um... Certain of them developed intelligence and, you know, herded around the ones that didn't and bred them to be stupid and tasty.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you get cows. Um, and I'm not going to say any other animals because I'll get in trouble with the hooves. But, um, but yeah, basically. So then you get, so then you get meat, you get, you know, you have birds, you have poultry and stuff like that. Um, and I think in the Vol books, I tried very hard not to say horses when I was talking about mounts. I think I just called them mounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have slipped up once or twice because I think people have told me that they think they ride horses, but I don't know if that's just them putting their own word on yeah. it or not. So.
0: And really, if you don't go to Vol and do a word search for a mount, you probably won't find anything about riding animals. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say that, like, oh God, you can never. Have a furry story with an anthropomorphic husky, or you have completely broken your world logic. Oh, no, I don't know. That's my. That's yeah. just me.
1: That's my solution to the problem. Yeah. And it is. you I mean, know, like, your you mileage may like vary, et
0: cetera. Nordgard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that in the context of it, like that makes sense. They're so, all sled dogs, huskies. Yeah. They eat meat. Yeah. So, um, um, I mean, as for like pets, yeah. Then you, it starts getting a little weirder.
1: Yeah, I think with pets, I use birds or reptiles. Yeah, I don't use. Um, although I have in some of my stories used, um, like, there are non-anthro foxes. There are, like, little sort of wild animal foxes that are running around. Uh-huh. Um, if I think of it from an evolutionary standpoint, it's kind of like, you know, having us around and then a pack of Colobus monkeys. Yeah. Um, which I don't find completely implausible because you could have... Okay, I find implausible the idea that every species would have created... Would have, like, had one exemplar of the population that developed intelligence and bipedal walk and form and whatever. Yeah. So, you know... At if the you, end
0: of the day, this is still imaginary fantasy based on the idea that we think animals are cool.
1: Yes. But that's logically how it works in my mind. Is yeah. You can have, like, wild type and human type.
0: Yeah. I actually do mention this, It's and this is in, like, the very beginning of Summerhill, so this isn't really a spoiler. The opening conversation of the story is a bunch of people in this crowd at a party arguing about what kind of animal Summerhill is. It's like, mm-hmm. is he a wolf? Is he a jackal? Is he a this, that? And...
1: He's adorable.
0: <laughs> and he's just sort of sitting there just listening to this conversation. And, like... They ask him, "It's like, so what are you?" Is like, I guess I am a dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> is like basically his, his response. And then, like, like after he leaves the conversation, because all of these characters are from completely different realities, and like it, it brings up the point. It's like, it's like okay, it's like dogs must be something that exists in multiple realities and are fairly common, right, to, for these people to have been able to have this conversation, and that establishes the nature of the weird multiple realities that you know he ends up going to.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and I could, I mean, I could see a world. I don't think it would break my world for my furry characters to have dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm positing that they domesticated animals for food, I could also posit that they would domesticate animals to help them hunt
0: Hmm.
1: um, or to catch mice. Because, yes, you know, foxes eat mice. But once you've been sort of walking around and going to Starbucks, you're not going to Chase a mouse and eat it. Um,
0: Mine are on the old American West trained ringtails to catch mice.
1: Then, wow. Yeah. But then I would not have, like, a German Shepherd dog furry having a German Shepherd dog non furry as a pet. Yeah. Um, which
0: I have seen stories where that happens, and those are usually stories of a certain ilk.
1: Yes. I which think we know which Are imp- not as
0: relevant to my interests, but you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying um but anyway Y N V. that's that's,
1: that's kind of how i handle it i i sort of separate out domesticated versus wild type species in my head and then if i have only wild type furries then i can have domesticated animals
0: yeah and, and Summerhill's a magical time dog and, so. and Summerhill's a magical
1: time dog so you, <laughs> so know, you can whatever. do whatever the hell i want <laughs> yeah i don't think any characters in your short stories have pets that i can recall
0: um wow i think you're right I mean, I don't think I any any of the ones in my stories think do. think of any.
1: I think I wrote in one of my books that someone had a bird, but huh. but then you also get into, like, some stories have avian furries. Like, my yeah. um, League of Canids universe has yeah, avian have. furries. Yeah. So then what do you do? Reptiles? Fish?
0: Fish. There you go. You have a pet fish. Yeah. You can eat your pet fish if you are hungry.
1: Why don't we move yes. on? I think we've exhausted right. that topic.
0: Hey, guys, it's Cameo again. I've hey, had Cameo few, again. <laughs> I've had a few things on my mind about writing and wanted to get them out. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to start with some input on the discussion on episode 74, which I think was back in 2004 at this point, uh, involving writing furry fiction for a mainstream audience. They actually move further into the past. I know. At a, at a quick like rate. My brain... When I was in high school, I participated in a pre-college fiction writing program over the summer at Columbia University and took a creative writing class my senior year. For both classes, I was working on a novel with exclusively anthropomorphic characters. The class at Columbia was a workshop class with around uh, 10 other 15- to 8-year-old high school students. The feedback I got from them regarding the characters was confusion over why the wolf was gay but the fox wasn't. They had no problem with accepting that the characters were anthropomorphic. Wait,
1: I'm confused about that, too.
0: (laughs) See, Furry, sometimes foxes can be straight, like Red Lightning.
1: Oh, he's so straight.
0: And Crypto's just not anything. Crypto's asexual, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but- And then, yeah. Yeah. We don't have to... No. Right down that list.
1: sorry. You can read about them all in the new book In the Doghouse of Justice available from Full Press.
0: On the teacher side of things, the only thing I was told repeatedly is to make use of uh, who the characters are for their species. I interpreted that to essentially mean that there needed to be a reason for the characters to be animals rather than humans. I suppose it largely depends on the age of the mainstream audience you're writing for. Likely young kids and adults would be more willing to accept that the anthro characters at face value, while adults would be uh, maybe looking for a reason the author chose to tell the story with animals. Now, I wanted to move on to a pair of recommendations for writers seeking informa- inspiration. While they are not literature or films for that matter, I think you could do a bit uh, as good as they have helped me. First i would like to recommend the music album In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. It sounds like you just like used a word bank generator on that. Yeah. It is a well-written concept album involving concept album involving time machines, circuses and frank reincarnation and the holocaust. Wow. 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 <laughs> the second recommendation is the body of work done by the band The Decemberists. We are Kids fans are of fan The Decemberists. Oh you guys are, yeah. I'm familiar with them. Uh, I'm
1: aware of their work.
0: I've seen them on Colbert. Oh, no, uh, oh yeah. Colin the shred off, Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty awesome, actually. Colin Mollet has been a major inspiration for me because of how effectively he tells stories in three to five minutes that evoke, among others, 19th century literature, especially Charles Dickens, Dickens. the well known Dutch author. Dick <laughs> O'Brien, the unlucky Dane from Prague. I would like to end with two short questions. First, how much research is necessary for a short story or a novella that is historical fiction if the only fantasy element is the anthro characters? Lastly, when will we be seeing a, a sequel to Waterways? Nudge, nudge. Thank you, Cameo. Thank you, Cameo. Um, for the
1: answer to the second question, you can go to my website at uh, kylegold.com slash faq.html.
0: Do <laughs> a control F search for no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I've talked about that on the podcast before, and I'm not going to spend time on it now because we have more interesting things to talk about.
0: Yeah, real quick. So your first question about, oh, needing to establish that there needs to be a reason for the characters to be furry, I have had this philosophical argument many times, and my short answer is there doesn't have to be a reason, and it's one of those justifying your art things. I think that if, as the writer, you want the characters to be animals then go for it, make them animals. No one can stop you, and no one should try to stop you. By that same token, finding a reason to make the species matter certainly doesn't help, and depending on the kind of story that you're writing, if you don't make the species matter, you might be doing the story a disservice, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I I want to distinguish between, because this is one of the... um, you know, top five arguments or top five discussions about furry writing that are out there. Um, I want to
0: distinguish Some between, of them get pretty knifey.
1: Yeah, and and I, I was having these arguments like ten years ago at conventions. Oh, yeah. Um, but I want to distinguish between having a reason to make the characters anthropomorphic and making use of the anthropomorphic nature of the characters. Mm, yes. Because people conflate those all the time, yeah. and they're different things. yes. And not Um, just semantically. Right. Um, I 100% agree with what you said. Having a reason to make the characters anthropomorphic, and people do struggle with that part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I have this cool story, and I want to tell it with anthropomorphic characters, but I I don't know why they should be anthropomorphic. And you're, you know, basically, I, I'm you know, yeah. totally on board with your answer. They should be anthropomorphic because you want them to be. Yeah,
0: it's like if you're painting a picture... Because you're like, the author and yeah, it's your story. It's like you're painting a picture of a woman. It's like, should be she should, should be blonde or brunette? Do I need a reason to make her hair like a certain color or not? Like, no. All right. It's your art. Do what you want with it.
1: And, however, then, finding a use for the anthropomorphic nature of the characters is a completely different thing. It is... Um, it is something that, you know, I've done more of or less of as the story warrants. Um, I would say Bridges is an example of a story where I did not really make much use of the anthropomorphic nature of the characters, except yeah. to play with the fact that they were all different kinds of foxes. Um, they're, um,
0: that's a whole other.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, the Argea series and, um, the out-of-position books are ones where the anthropomorphic nature of the characters comes more into play with the plot where, you know, the whole story of out-of-position would be very different if Dev was a fox and Lee was a tiger. Yes. If you think about that. I mean, that's the easiest way to, to yeah. determine whether you're making good use of the species as opposed to there being a reason for t- to have them. But if you're making good use of the species, then exchange the species of two of the characters who aren't already the same species. And if that would change the story, then you're doing something. And you may not be able to pin down exactly what it is, but, you know, if I made Vol a bear and Dareth a rabbit, you know, that changes those books quite a bit. Yeah.
0: Like, my story in X. Where I sort of have this like Eastern European motif going on with it, even though I'd never say where the story takes place, uh, and it's a very modern sort of setting. But all of the characters also have you have
1: a husky and meat eating in the same story.
0: Do I have meat eating in that
1: one? Yeah, maybe I don't know. I'm I'm
0: i, I was if, assuming. I, I I usually avoid describing what characters are eating when they eat. Actually, <laughs> just to get because I want to make it a non-issue. I don't want people to think about that. But I mean, yes, yeah, so, like there's like,
1: had a big greasy hunk of steak. Yes.
0: Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, so yeah, like, so like, yeah, like, you have like, Pavel is like the husky, and you have, like, you know, like, you know this is like the the big, strong, blue-collar wolf, and then you have like his weird, creepy roommate who keeps the weird hours, and she's the bat. Right. And so, and, and it's then just. And you have like, a
1: little Twinkie Ringtail. I
0: was going to say, which is a Mesoamerican species that doesn't fit the mode at all, but like his body type. Right. And it's just like, you know what? And like, that was probably like, I want him to be cute and little and not a fox. Yeah. Even though. For,
1: you know, a Siberian story, you pretty much would have to go with a Siberian. I'm <laughs> I'm so in my own You world. are
0: so in your world. Get out of there. For a Russian story,
1: <laughs> probably you would have to go with something like, um, you know, Fox is probably one of the better ones for that, or you'd have to go with like a rodent of some sort. Or like a weasel. Yeah, weasels. They have weasels. They have weasels in Europe. Yeah. They have weasels all over.
0: Yeah. Um, or a rat. Rats yeah. could be skinny.
1: Or a yeah, mouse. you could do rat. I, I was thinking mouse. Well, I said rodent.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, squirrel. Husky and squirrel. Husky and squirrel. That's not how that goes. No.
1: wolf and squirrel. Wolf
0: and squirrel. <laughs> oh, hi. That could be hot. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't want to write, like, Soviet-era furry porn anymore after reading uh, <laughs> reading. Um, deathless, by Cat Valenti. Now, like uh, that, just makes me all depressed. Like, oh, Siege of Leningrad is horrible.
1: Uh you should write Soviet era, or you should write um, um, uh, the Romanov era furry porn.
0: Oh, wow, ooh, just, right, ooh, yeah, those glitzy with the
1: with the kind of you know. Hemophiliac squirrel and his big strong wolf bodyguard, get on that.
0: Oh, I'm gonna get on something. <laughs> um.
1: Anyway, moving on. The um, so anyway, I, so I think when you're when you're thinking about that, I think as you as you pointed out, you can have a story with anthropomorphic characters where you're not really making use of the species, yeah. but they're just in there for decoration, and yeah. they're there because you want them there, yeah. and that's fine. A
0: lot of people will throw you the litmus test of. Oh, look at your story. And if you could tell the exact same story with humans, then it should just be told with humans. And I call bullshit. Yeah, like, yeah. I
1: mean, when you, any, when you reduce any, when you reduce a story, because what um, what makes a story yours, what makes it personal, yours and yours, mm-hmm. is those elements that you want to throw in. And if you just try to tell a story in a fashion that will appeal to a lot more people, even though that's not what you want to tell then you 're not going to be as successful at yeah. it, and you 're going to end up making something generic and watered down and and boring
0: yeah, and like you know even if it 's something as simple as i 'm writing a sex story, and I think wolves are attractive, so I made this character a wolf, like yeah, go for it like that 's all you need well um, you know like like I kind of laughed yeah. at while you were while I was reading the
1: one of the previous letters it 's sort of like someone said. I don't understand why you have to make characters foxes all the time. or
0: like, why, why wouldn't I? People,
1: people challenge me, you know, write a story without a fox. And I'm like, okay, fine. Because there's other species yeah. that I like writing about. But it makes a story different. And I just, um, you know, I like writing about foxes because they're neat and cute. Yeah. And I, have,
0: I have my go-to species. Yep. We all know what they are. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly, otters aren't super high on the list. And it's no. not because I don't think otters are attractive, because I certainly do.
1: No, they're just they're just like down there. It's kind of like living in the Bay yeah. Area. Like you know, we live around here, and there's yeah. lots of cool restaurants and stuff up in Redwood City, but we never get to Redwood City because we have Mountain View, and then Palo Alto, yeah. and then you know, I mean, by the time T-Lo we... Tilo
0: and the desk husky has an otter,
1: we're like, why would we? Why would we drive twenty five minutes to go somewhere cool when we could drive ten? Yeah. Um, why would you go all the way down to the oddly, water? Oddly extended analogy. Yeah, I but, like it um, But in terms of historical fiction, um, I can share my experiences, and I want to say, I I know you've done historical research for some of your... um, Oh, yeah. ...things. Oh, and I did want to tell you, I haven't actually told you this before, so I'm telling you on the air. Oh, cool. Um, uh, One of the things that I was doing, speaking of Russian, um, Russians in the Forrester universe are Siberians, um, in case you didn't know, but um, I was using... uh, there's a, there's a You know about the Tame Foxes, right? Uh-huh. Which actually are in Siberia. Right. Um, and the city that they're from is Novosibirsk. Right. And so I have a fox character in my story who is Siberian, and he's a fan of a soccer team. So I made the soccer team the Novosibirsk team. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, a little in-joke. But anyway, in this novel... I will I will share with you what um I I, w- I had a chance this summer to talk to an author who's written a couple historical fiction books and I was asking him about research because I was doing this uh, I'm I'm writing two historical novels right now mm-hmm. one that takes place in 1815 America and one that takes place partly in you know 1901 Paris the Moulin Rouge um and his take on it was you really you need to do a bunch of research. You need to look at a lot of different sources. Yeah, um, read as many as you can. But then, what you're going to find is that a lot of the sources contradict each other, and some of them mention things that others won't. Um, and you might find an interesting fact in only one source that you think, you know, if it were true, it should have shown up in a bunch of them, but it didn't. And and he said, you know, basically, when you, because it's historical fiction, you have a certain amount of leeway. Mm-hmm. And if you write something like, um, like one of the interesting things, one of the beta readers of my book pointed out the currency. Because I kind of, I didn't have a clear idea of the currency at the time. So I was just mm-hmm. kind of using bills and coins, sort of interchangeably, not really yeah. thinking about the currencies. And And he was just like... You know, I didn't find any bills in that denomination from that time. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But nobody else really noticed that. Probably yeah. nobody else would care. I'm you know, i sure that of the hundred people or mm. several hundred who read the book, a couple will be familiar enough or will check and then will send me emails about it.
0: But it's like, they didn't have francs in that denomination. It's like, well, they didn't have talking foxes either. So. Right.
1: And, <laughs> and so... But what happened was I, I thought about it and I actually saw a way to integrate that into the story to make it a little more historically accurate and to integrate something that would sort of serve as a, a little cool little plot point. Okay. Um but then otherwise there's like sort of the there's a an image of a bag of gold being held out as a payment for something. And the comment was I don't know that they would have coins in those in big enough denominations to make a bag of gold really worth anything, and i 'm like eh it 's a bag of gold it 's an image yeah. i 'm not changing that so yeah um, but the the point is you can do all this historical research and you should you should go look up sources even if you're writing mm-hmm. them with you know anthro characters, and then just kind of sit back and let it all simmer together mm-hmm. until you get an idea of. And you should have a vision like a movie in your head of what that time is like, what that time period is like, what's there. Um, David Mitchell, actually, when he was writing his historical novel, oh, wow, yeah. um, said, in some senses it's, it's easier because all these things are already established. You don't have to make up the world. But in another sense, it's harder because you'll be writing a story or you'll be writing a, a paragraph. He'd be like, he walked into the room and lit the lamp. And he's like, well, what kind of lamp was it? What was the fuel? Was it a smoky fuel or a non-smoky fuel? if it was a smoky fill, it would have to be near a window um, and then the window would have to be open or else the room would fill with smoke. And then, and he's just like, and you could spend hours and hours researching all of these details. Mm-hmm. And then, and then at the end of like a day and a half of research, you've written this one paragraph. So it, I think it's important to get as with everything else to get a little balance of a few details that really set the, the time period um, things that are unusual and yet familiar enough to people that they're like, oh, people walked around with gold pocket watches. I kind of know what era this is, um, but at the same time, don't get so obsessive I to, about. I
0: it. looked. I had to look up the history of pocket watches for Summerhill. There you go. <laughs> and I, I was, and again, I was there for like an hour reading about like the development of them, and you know when they were in popular use, and different like you know
1: terms for them. And the, the horrifying, the horrifying, the wonderful thing, and horrifying thing is that you you go down these sort of Wikipedia rabbit holes. Like when I was researching this paper currency, I found out, um, and this still fascinates me um, during world war two, world war One, nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen, 1914, 1915 um, in France, they were trying to reclaim metal for the war effort. And so cities, chambers of commerce, not, like the National Bank or anything, but the Chambers of Commerce would issue these 50 centime and one franc notes mm-hmm. so that they could reclaim the coins and put them towards the war effort. So this was money guaranteed by your city that you lived in, not by the French government. Okay. And it was paper worth like 50 cents or a dollar, and they didn't have one franc notes at the time um, because like a franc was not worth very much. Um, they had one franc coins. Um but uh but yeah so it was it was just a case where the cities were like you know we're we're just going to print up these things and exchange them for money and then these pieces of paper became money nice which i thought was kind of fascinating
0: one of my favorite mental images along those lines is uh people like burning money like for fire because it's cheaper to burn the money than it is to buy fuel to burn Oh yeah, like uh, yeah. Uh,
1: post-war Germany. Yeah,
0: and it's yeah. just like wow, like that, like, that's such a powerful image, and like, I, like that just really is just. I think that's really cool. Oh
1: yeah, there's photos of like people trundling wheelbarrows full of paper money down to cool. the store to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it actually that that kind of happened in in France. That was the currency I've been like researching, but they revalued the franc so that like a new franc was worth a hundred old francs because yeah they did,
0: they did that with the yen too yeah Where they
1: anyway historical research is a lot of fun don't get lost in it but yeah. um man i as the older i get the more i love the history sections of the bookstores um yeah. we went to a borders that was going out of business sad um and i found this awesome book on the building of the erie canal which took place from like 1808 to 1824 so it's right in the time frame of when my 1815 yeah. book is and I'm just like this is really cool because it'll give me an insight into what life was like in those times and,
0: yeah. how, how, and how, you know actually as, as far as the melding of you know fantasy like you're talking about oh like I have like fantasy elements in the form of the anthro characters but it's historical fiction uh, I'm gonna uh, recommend Cat Valenti's Deathless again because yep. it's totally a magical fantasy story that's a, a complete historical fiction novel but you know the the end of czarist Russia into like the socialist era, and it's again you can tell that there's a lot of work put into maintaining the authenticity of that.
1: Um, I think her husband's family is Russian.
0: Yes, she had mentioned so, that on the show. I think. Yeah.
1: Um. So anyway, is it my turn? It is your turn. I think it is my turn. Greetings, Sir Fox, Malord Otter, and Great Silent Wolf. I like Great Silent Wolf. You too. I'm writing because of a discussion that my mate, Manji, and I had in regards to choosing species for our characters. It's true, and has been discussed on the podcast before, that the various species often have certain stereotypical aspects associated with them, both in the fandom and in our society as a whole, Foxes are that foxes are crafty, for example, or that they are all subby bottoms. That's huskies now. Um, Manji and I both recognize the need to take those stereotypes and twist them to make them interesting. But what we're really thinking here is how to choose the species for a story character. How does one go about picking? In my story, The Parting, that was published in the Fernal Equinox con book, congratulations, I used a fennec because I wanted to have a distinctive physical feature to use, namely the ears, yeah, but yeah. also found that their slight build was suited to the kind of person I wanted to have him be. But what if it's less clear? What ways do you and Hirosaki-san come up with the species used in your writing? My best, sparf <laughs>
0: Sparkle, Sparf. I, love how, I, I just, I just want to point out. I love how he has sent the greetings to all three of us. Yet by the time he got to the end of the email, he was just talking to you. <laughs> I'll remember that next time I see you at a convention. That's a, that's,
1: that's that's an ed- editing thing.
0: Hmm. Anyway, anyway, since
1: you were talking earlier about coming up with the ringtail yeah. for your, <clears throat>
0: um, this is actually something I get, I get asked this a lot especially at uh, panels, at conventions. Like, uh, how do you choose your species for characters? And for me, most of the time, it sort of comes part and parcel with the character. It's like just like another aspect of who and what they are. Um, there are, of course, times where you're going to have, where you know you need a character to fill a certain role, but you haven't thought of what that character is yet. And so naturally, you don't know what kind of animal they are yet. And there's a lot of ways to go there. Like you said, they right there, like all right, their build suited the kind of person you wanted them to be. Uh, that's something that I think that I mean that goes a long way. Like like we were just saying, you know, I have this ringtail character in my story and X. It's just sort of like yeah, like that's the sort of you know you can you can envision you know what that sort of character would look like, and you know, there's an element of personality that goes with it. Um.
1: I uh, speaking of Phoenix, I, I I kind of deliberately in my book which is coming out in five days at Rainforest um science fiction, there is a Fennec character who is a gym rat and a not really a bodybuilder, but he's very he's very muscular uh-huh. and buff and toppy and
0: He's he's nice. I <laughs> like him a lot. K KM is a I big think fan. he's my favorite character in this story.
1: He also has an amusing name, which doesn't really have anything, any meaning, except that it amused me to... It,
0: it, it, it. It's so fitting because of that. Again, yeah. it's playing against type.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I was thinking, oh, there's not that many foxes in that story. But there's, like, the, the professor and his wife and the Fennec. And I'm like, well, that's three, and there's really only other two other primary characters in the story, so... Yeah, I guess there's a lot of foxes in it. Damn it. I promise also you. also Wally.
0: What? But there's also Wally. Oh, uh, there is also Wally. Wally's awesome.
1: Yes. He is so awesome, he got an extra story.
0: Yes. With the Fennec. With the Fennec. Yay.
1: And yes. Yay. <laughs> and kind of as a result of writing that, um, or rather as a result of tweeting about writing that, I got somebody to email me a. PDF of what an erect armadillo penis looks like.
0: (laughs) And your life was forever changed.
1: It was actually interesting because it was like, apparently armadillos get boners when they sleep.
0: (laughs) And you don't? I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying. You know. Normal foxes don't. I mean. I never claimed you were a normal fox. Unless it's that season. Right. Anyway. um, If I... I, and I've, I've written evil foxes, too, but um, I, I I do make a conscious effort to not immediately jump to red fox for characters in the story, although there are a couple in the book that I'm writing now. And, of course, in my collations book, the main character is a red fox. But um, so that's that's sort of my default, but it's also kind of my thing. And people are like, I'm tired of you writing foxes. And I'm like, really? are you are you actually getting that? Uh occasionally. I oh, got it from those some people. people. Um Yay, kid agrees. Um so you know, I tend to go with if I'm if I'm not thinking hard about hey, it.
0: Pizza is delicious. I'm not gonna stop eating pizza just because I've had pizza a bunch of times before.
1: Exactly. Um yeah. I tend to go with kind of the North American um there's there's like a base North American stable of animals. Yeah. Um most of the carnivores. Um canids I don't use North American felids very much. Lynx and Bobcat yeah. sometimes, but um
0: I guess Jaguars are South American. Fox,
1: coyote, wolf, uh bear, raccoon. Nobody um, ever uses
0: beavers. I've used like, like beavers. The the furry phantom is very beaver light. Which yeah. considering like how North American mammal centric we are, I'm amazed at the lack of beavers. Um yeah beavers and then those are cute. They are. And those kind
1: of otters and then the bigger rodents, um, not so much porcupines, because then I have to think about other things that go along with those characters. But, it, it because, I mean, the character then brings so much challenge with it. I know that,
0: I write about a porcupine.
1: Um, I did, actually. I wrote, a, I want to say I wrote a short story about um, porcupines. And meerkats. There is a porcupine in um, in Isolation Play, mm. uh, very, very briefly.
0: And I like mongooses.
1: Um, M- mongoose. Oh, yeah, weasels. Then there's lots of weasels. Weasels. But, um, for example, I was writing a story recently that uh, partly took place on Cuba. And so I was trying to figure out what are native Cuban mammals. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Uh, I have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's not very many. There's I was going like, to s- there's there's a couple of rodents.
0: I was gonna say like I'm thinking like probably like chinchilla type rodent things.
1: It's 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 actually it's called
0: a hutia. Okay.
1: Um, and it's like a rodent. I want to say it's kind of like a um, uh, like a, it's a tree rat kind of thing. Huh. Um, and anyway. I think
0: native Caribbean animals, my brain immediately goes to lizards.
1: Yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of mammals. Um. There's some interesting ones elsewhere, and um, amusingly, I think, like, Australian mammals are kind of overrepresented in the fandom. Yeah, but they're unique. Because kangaroos are so iconic and unique, yeah.
0: And dingoes.
1: Right. But you don't see a whole lot of, um, you know, I guess African, you see the big cats, African Asian, you see the big cats a lot.
0: Lions, tigers. Bears, there, Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to leave you hanging on that. Don't worry. Uh. High five. <laughs> um. But anyway, the point is, I guess, I have, I have kind of this
1: sort of stable that I draw from. And I think the reason that I don't go outside the North American mammals too often is I do it sometimes when I kind of want variety or I want a character to be a little bit exotic. But again, you know, I also just had a fox bee from Siberia. So I don't need to yeah. create there's no there's no kind of iconic Russian animal you oh, think of bears tigers. you think of bears well, tigers or tigers can be they Indian, can be Indian or- um bears, but then we have bears in North America too yeah. so there's really
0: and then like you know we have caribou in North America,
1: right, so it's all you know if stupid i want stupid
0: land bridge <laughs> <laughs> i know ruined our Curse species you. diversity of course you
1: but um but mostly i think most of the because you know we we map um species to kind of personality types yeah. and so there's there's sort of the physically um physically diminutive people and then there's kind of uh, not emotionally but um personality wise diminutive to, to stronger. And so for the more aggressive personality types, you've got the carnivores. For the least less aggressive, you've got um, the herbivores and yeah. rodents. So if you want somebody who's physically big but personality meek, you, you go for like a deer or uh, even a bear sometimes. Yeah. Bears have that kind of like, like low, slow kind of laid-back reputation.
0: Or like a donkey.
1: And if you want someone who's physically small but personality aggressive, You've got foxes, you've got weasels, you've got yeah. rats. rats. Exactly. So you can pretty much fit any kind of personality type into a really small set of species. And, um, and so that's why I, don't, I generally kind of look at what kind of personality the character is and assign them a species. And, um, and that's why I don't go outside of that very much, except when I'm really trying to do something different. Uh, is that
0: no? I think I think we've covered all the bases, really.
1: And I think another thing—I mean, this is something that you've kind of touched on without sort of stating it explicitly. But you'll also just like be kind of flipping through Wikipedia or an encyclopedia of mammals, and you're kind of like, "Hey, that's an interesting mammal. I kind of want to write a story about that." Yeah,
0: like that's that's how I have this one story.
1: And, oh, the story I wrote for Heat has a doll.
0: Oh, that's right. I love dolls. Yeah, I have a story I want to write about a doll. There you go. It's about a doll and a fox.
1: Is the fox on the dole?
0: Sometimes
1: <laughs> he's he's the fox is he goes around going, oh yeah, I'm gonna get unemployed tonight.
0: Actually, it was um,
1: I remember I asked
0: Twitter. A few oh come on, of, I know, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it was because I haven't. It, this is one of the the back burner stories I've had for forever, and I remember I asked on Twitter like if I wrote a. Erotic furry story involving a doll. Would enough people know what that was? <laughs> I think it was actually Brayer who responded with, like, it's a dog and it's hot. Go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Brayer.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Um, this is this one is just a recommendation, so yeah, we don't have to talk is, about it,
0: it. It'll be quick. So, hey there, it's Griffel, the friendly Northwoods furry again. Hi, oh, What kind of furry?
1: A Northwoods furry.
0: So he's a beaver. Got it. (laughs) The Spydox. Oh, Spydox. Oh, the Spydox. At the real Spydox, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to make a book suggestion to the writers and readers out there. It's called How to Read Literature Like a Professor by Thomas C. Foster. The book is aimed at teaching people how to read literature more critically and analytically. The author, while in my opinion is overly wordy and almost conversational to the point of being tedious... Uh, makes a lot of interesting points in the book about the deeper meanings behind quests or journeys, weather, symbolisms, or allusions to other works of literature, uh, and others, for example. I find it a very interesting read. I think that a lot of the points he makes can be adjusted for use when writing as well as for reading. As for beginning writers, myself included, it does get uh, it did give a lot of interesting ideas for how to make one's writing much more meaningful. Don't get me wrong, furry porn is plenty enough meaningful as it is. Wink! But I'm mean, sure even a little extra more in the way of narrative can go a long way to make a good story into a great story. And really, just as an aside, you should try to make all of your good stories into great stories. Oh, you. That's really all I have to say right now. I hope my suggestion is helpful, and I wish you all happy writing, Griffel. Thank you, Griffel. Well, thank you. I have not heard of that one, but now um, it is not either, on but the recommendation list.
1: and um, Yeah, absolutely. And I do think
0: that being able to read critically is a skill that all readers should try to develop.
1: All writers, too. Yes. Ah. Um,
0: but all writers should be readers. Yes. Sorry, we had an accident here in the studio. That's all right. It was a paper accident. It's my fault for the. F- it's your fault for
1: underestimating the friction. I will, uh, I will not turn get. that this into is, a this plug This is for what you book. get for
0: not having a video podcast. People, you don't get to see my facial expressions. Yeah, I, I mostly know, do them for Kyle's benefit.
1: We will have to do a video. Actually, they, they videotaped the podcast at Farrell, so we might be able to release oh, that one they? as a video. Yeah.
0: Oh, was Yannick filming it? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, all that stuff was on film. Um,
0: Except for Yannick's facial expression when we made that one comment. Yes,
1: which was very amusing. <laughs> yes. But... Um, yeah, the only the only thing I'd add to this is um, you should definitely try to turn your good story into a great story, but don't try to force meaning into a story where it doesn't
0: belong or where yes. it doesn't fit. Which is a conversation I want to, want to have with you once the, once the mics are off. I actually have something that reminds me I want to tell you.
1: Okay. Um, in the meantime, we're delighted to be back in our secret mountain location annex the, room for... Yeah one week before the, the we go... The
0: bunker is under renovations right now. Yes,
1: it is. Uh, before we go record live at Rainforest. Yes. Which, our inaugural... By the time you hear this, it will be too late for you to attend, but that'll be the next episode. If you weren't there, it was awesome. Yes, absolutely. It always is. And um, don't miss our upcoming live show at Further Confusion. <laughs> um. <laughs> and anyway... You can find if you wish to follow us more closely. Yes, not too closely, um, from
0: a respectable distance that should be maintained at all times.
1: Yes, I am Kyle Gold on Twitter. I am Kyle Gold on LiveJournal, and I also have. I'm mirroring my LiveJournal on my website. I've actually successfully converted that to a WordPress on my yes on my web zone. at kylegold.com slash Um which is WP for WordPress, because the first time I did it, it was slash blog, and that, you don't need to hear that whole story. But anyway, it's not anymore. So, But you can always just find me at kylegold.livejournal.com. That mirrors everything that I post. And I am Kyle on Fur Affinity and Kyle on SoFurry.
0: And I'm Cam Hirasaki on everything.
1: You are. Um,
0: I have brand recognition because of Got a really weird name.
1: And also follow the real Spydox on Twitter.
0: Yes. He just wants because, a hug.
1: Weirdly enough, Spydox was taken. <laughs> uh anyway. Thank you to Kit for, you know, as usual, being our engineer and making the podcast go.
0: That's Kit and I have only just finished our glasses of beer that we started drinking at the beginning of the- that was a slow drinking beer. Oh, is it? No wonder. Oh my god, I had no idea. I was just like, man, like this beer is taken. It was tasty, but it took effort to drink.
1: Like beer syrup?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a good thing that I'm going to be sitting here for a while talking to someone before I go home.
1: Alrighty. Um, thank you for listening, and uh,
0: good night. Keep writing. And we love you and miss you.